listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. Tennille, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started a podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this, are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences. Justin Robinson is a backcountry skier based in Sydney, Australia. He talks to us today about skiing in Greenland. Temperatures, trip preparation, Inuits, clothing and gear selection, sled dogs, polar bears and much more. Hi, Justin. How are you? Hi, guys. Hi, Tanil. Hi, Emma. It's um, good. Great to be here. Great to be able to um, share my story about Greenland. We are so excited. Like, Greenland, you know, I don't know. You just It, it just seems too hard to get there. So you, it's almost like a dream that you want it to become true. But how, yeah. why did you decide green, Greenland? <laughs> yeah, look, look, it is. It, is, it was a bit of a blank spot on the map for me. And um, an interesting fact, it's actually... From Sydney to to Kulasuk, where we began our adventure in Greenland, is it's it's almost like twenty thousand kilometres, just slightly under that, I think, and that's almost as far as you can go on the globe um, without return, you know, without that distance becoming shorter and you coming coming back to where you started. So it's wow. a, it's the furthest place that I've, I've ever been, and as I said, it's it's a blank spot on the map for me. And having been there now and reflecting on it, it, it really is one of the great um, wildernesses polar wilderness areas still um left on the planet i think next to um antarctica so um i was really fortunate to be part of a um, filming expedition that went up there um with a company called adventure inspiring performance and it's interesting they're a um uh, a corporate leadership training company that films content and then takes it into the the workplace environment and runs leadership training and um and that type of thing. Um, so they'd put a team together to go and film some um, pretty epic content to take, you know, into one of their products and, and go from there. Um, and really exciting um, trip for me. Um, I've been climbing and skiing for, you know, as soon as I finished school, doing both um, sort of equally as, and, and as, as enthusiastically as each other. Um, so it was a great moment to put both of those skills together and um, get out there and um, have an amazing wild adventure. Yeah. So the climbing. So explain that because I, I would consider that Greenland is pretty flat. <laughs> but no, no. It's, no, no, no. It's 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 um it, yeah, it's an amazing place. It's our adventure started. Our expedition started on the east coast at a place called Kulasuk, um, which is um, sort of on the southern part quarter of the east coast of Greenland and turns out it's a place where a lot of the um, expeditions um, in the early 1900s and 1800s started their traverses across Greenland but it's a pretty amazing place because that coastline is is really mountainous um, amazing wow. amazing mountains all the way around Greenland really um, and they kind of guard this um, ice cap um, that covers Greenland. I don't know if you guys have heard of the Greenland ice cap, but it's a it's a pretty um, in in yeah. pol- in polar explorer world. It's a pretty um, big objective for people to cross the the polar ice cap. Um, yeah. But the coastline's heavily glaciated, lots of mountains, big fjords, and it's almost like a um, a barrier or a gateway into this this polar ice cap region of 
Greenland. So, um, and it was a bit of a surprise to me. As I said, I hadn't, I had, I'd read a little bit about Greenland, but, um, you know, hadn't, hadn't, didn't know much about it. And amazing place to fly into just so many mountains, um, sea ice, icebergs, um, quite, quite intense actually, and quite, um, intimidating when you first see it from the air to think that we're going to be down there climbing and skiing amongst it. Um, but yeah, it's a ski mountaineer's paradise. It's amazing. Yeah, wow. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so your equipment, how did you prepare with equipment wise for you to go to Greenland? You, you said that you had done a little bit of reading. So were you prepared with all your equipment, with your climbing, your skis? Yeah, look, I've done, I've done, um, I've sort of spent the last 25 years um, of my life doing lots of um, rock climbing and lots of ski mountaineering. So um, that component wasn't too bad, but yeah, we had to be really careful about our um, gear selection because it's a, it's a really forbidding environment and very, very cold. Um, and we really needed to be prepared for, you know, anything and everything um, over there. So um, yeah, it, a massive massive list of gear that i had to get down but you know i think the other thing is taking only what's necessary was really important and traveling light while we're out there was yeah. quite important um we were lucky to base ourselves in the village of kulasup which is a an inuit um town of about 200 people on the east coast um and that was a that was our base and it was really great to, you know, from there we could do a lot of day trips, to be honest, um, using the fjords and sea ice to access the mountain ranges, um, either on skidoos or via um, sled dogs. Um, and and that was a really great place to come back to every day because um, it's a it's a brutal brutal place. So we could we could travel quite light. We didn't need to take tents necessarily all the time and sleeping bags. We could we could travel with a day kit with the appropriate um, you know rescue equipment and safety equipment and get and get quite a bit done. We did do an overnight traverse of one of the big islands um, and camped on the other side of um, an island, which was we can we can get into to later and talk about. But um, that required a bit more gear, um, but um yeah yeah we, we were lucky in terms of the the place we we'd established and um the the, the access we had to the the town of Kulasuk yeah that, I would I would have thought that you had to just go to Kulasuk and then move on every day but that's kind of really makes the adventure a little bit more easier to do I would imagine like yeah how, yeah how can the dogs go every day you, you said oh look home. they're they're amazing so we um we um connected with a guy over there called um, Matt Spenceley. He's a he's a world-class alpinist and um he's an IFMGA guide, so the the you know the the real deal mountain guide. Yeah. Um and he's he set up a um infrastructure over there for polar explorers and adventurers to come over and use his facilities as a base to go and explore the area. Um we were really lucky to um establish that connection um with him and get to know um him. And then he is a he's actually an interesting story he's become quite a well-respected um elder in the community he's a scottish guy but went over there when he was quite young and um got to know um the the local community and sort of was almost adopted by um the local community and has made the place home for him now um and um great to have um his knowledge um for the area because the dog back to your question on the dogs um yeah the 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 local inuit people run the dogs they're they're an amazing breed of dog they're um they're they're unique to greenland so the greenland sled dog is is a is a known breed there's no outside influence on that breed now um and they're amazing i don't know i mean 
they'll go all day in minus 30, minus 40. Um, apparently, they only eat three times a week. <laughs> um, must, they, must eat, they must eat a lot. Um, and they sleep outside. Um, they in the snowpack they kind of curl up and um the, the snow kind of forms over them and it's just an amazing breed of dog yeah what's their relationship to the polar bears like do they do any protecting i think they do yeah they definitely protect the village they make a lot of noise i guess if a bear approaches the village and on some of the less technical peaks that we climbed the dogs actually came along with us um, which was great so they'd come out onto the ice with us and then um, if the peak was not too technical, so not necessarily getting our ice axes out and um, crampons and we were just on our skins and could skin to the summit of the peak, the dogs would often quite quite often come with us and come up to the summit um, and they'd run back down through the snow and um, that was pretty amazing and nice to have them with us because of the, um, the polar bear threat that we can get into. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So you were based in the town and then you yeah. did day trips and stuff. How long were you there? for your whole trip like yeah we were on the ground for two weeks um and you know in that two weeks i think we managed to climb 10 peaks 10 big peaks including that and climb and ski 10 big peaks including that traverse of one of the islands um which was a mountain range in itself um and we had a couple of rest days um and we were very lucky with the weather too we we went in march um and and it's a it's a it's a it's a tough one because you know the early, Fe, January February I suspect it's very dark there because it's yeah. it's sixty five degrees north so it's right on the Arctic Circle. Um, March is probably um, the earliest you can get in there um, with the light to maximise your days um, and try and avoid some of the the, the worst of the weather. Um, before we arrived, there was a big storm that came through and probably dumped. I don't know, half a metre to a metre of snow, which was wow. which was interesting. Um, we were a bit worried about it, but it turned out very well in the end. <laughs> um, yeah. So we were, very, we were very lucky. We had some great snow. To cut a long story short, we had some great snow, um, very, very cold conditions that were a bit of a challenge, um, but got some amazing, some, you know, all-time skiing done, um, which is for, you know, ski mountaineering and backcountry skiing, you'll often hear, you know, 95% climbing up doing hard work, you know, suffering and 5% skiing ice on the way back down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we got some, we got some yeah. amazing powder snow, like best I've ever had. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what, what's the temperature you're talking about that was difficult, like minus 30s, minus? 30s? Yeah, probably minus 20 to minus 30 Celsius. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is, which is pretty brutal. Um, I don't yeah. know. It's one thing experiencing that in a ski resort, but when you're out in it, all day um it's it's critical that you get your clothing right and and you can you know just have the experience to manage yourself um in those conditions um and you know yeah so when you talk about getting the clothing right can you yeah yeah so i think the, the principle i've always worked with and these are some good things that you can take into your resort skiing um life i think if it's particularly cold weather but just in extreme cold managing zero sweat um, and really using a lay a smart layering system um, to manage that zero sweat principle can make the difference between getting really cold and frostbite and um, having a really having a much better time. So we tend to not use big thick fleeces. Um, it tends to be a lot of thinner layers um, underneath. Um, I barely used a Gore-Tex over there. Um, 
Um, yeah, so there's there's some much there's some newer technology out these days in terms of breathable sort of micro puff layers. Um, so highly breathable, um, but quite thin and um, warm layers. And that was probably something with a hood, of course. That was something I used a lot with a with a thinner sort of um, you know thermal layer underneath and in minus 30 when you're working hard climbing up a mountain you'd be surprised how much heat your body gives off and you Mm. really want that you want that that heat and moisture to escape and not stick on you and and um and get damp and then consequently get cold and whenever you stop you want to make sure you've got a really big puffy down jacket you know rated for those temperatures to put on straight away so we'd um you know, in in resort in the resort world, I still use that system. Um, sometimes it's better to have something to cut the wind when you when you're skiing in a resort because you're doing more skiing. Um, but you know, having a puffy in your backpack and putting that on the on the lift if it's a particularly cold, windy day um, can work quite well. Same principle that we were using um, in in Greenland. Yeah, so don't what, want to what sweat. Are you talking about that's breathable? What's the latest that you use? What, what um, I use a I use a Patagonia. Um, um i think it's called a nano puff jacket which is pretty which is which is really good um it's something i've started using a lot um recently um and was just a great piece of kit for this trip it was really really good and you know the gore-tex only we had a couple of really windy stormy days the gore-tex came out um then when we were climbing and the wind was just howling um but if there's not too much wind you're working and breathing just using that that puffy down jacket over the top of everything when you stop and then um, those breathable layers underneath, it's, it works really well. And the other thing in that cold um, condition is um, the gloves you're using. So every day I went out, I had four pairs of gloves with me and I'd be, um, you know, I'd have a sort of leather work pair of gloves that I might use if I was getting climbing gear out or that sort of thing, a bit more dexterous. Um, I'd have uh, probably a more traditional ski glove. Um and then I've got these amazing sort of Arctic um, sort of 8,000-metre Mount Everest mitts that were amazing, really good to have. Have a liner underneath most of the gloves I use all the time. And then if I feel the, the slightest bit of numbness in my fingers, I'd put the mitts on and just keep my hands um, warm because frostbite and that temperatures are definitely a, a can be an issue, um, yeah. particularly when you're doing those transitions between skins and, you know, into ski mode or, or whatever you might might be doing you have to do them. you have to practice and get them really quick and efficient and minimize the time that your hands don't have gloves on or just in liners and just things like that yeah did you did you guys have to do sort of like a wilderness first aid training because i know we we've interviewed um tony lochran who was a medic and spent a lot a lot of time up in the arctic and you know oh, right yeah he was the medic with the guide the commandos but if you don't have someone like that how how did you treat how did you all approach all that? Yeah, well, it's a good, it's a really good question. So the crew I went with were a really experienced crew from Canada. Um, some of which I'd done. Uh, one of the guys in particular, I've done, I've done a lot of climbing with in in, in the past twenty years. Everyone's really experienced. Um, I think um, for myself, I've I've done um, some wilderness first aid. I've, I'm a um, remote area firefighter, so some of the stuff I've done with that is really helpful. In, to bring into this environment and I think as you find in that in that um, alpine climbing world most people if they've got you know 20 odd years experience would have gone and um, got those qualifications um, it's 
pr- pretty common in North America for, for people to have done EMT courses and those sorts of things. Um, but it's a really important point because in the environment that we are in, it's so remote um, and such a um, intense feeling of just being on your own. If there was an incident, um, you you we really would be on our own and there's no rescue uh you know aside from when we flew in i think there was two other skiers on the plane with us from um europe they look like pretty experienced polar explorers and they were just going to a village nearby to do a traverse of something but i'm pretty sure like we were the only um seven skiers in um in greenland Gosh. at the particular time and it's a strange feeling so you got to um, make sure you got all the right safety equipment. Um, and I think having that um, experience to be able to pace yourself um, and know your limits and, um, you know, you're on these amazing mountains with amazing snow and you just have to dial it back and skate, you know, because the conditions are variable. You don't know what you're going to come across. And um, it's just that strange feeling of you want to let loose and, you know, ski this amazing line, but you have to just dial it back and, yeah. and, and take it in. So, um, yeah, we were lucky, no incidents. Um, we were pretty conservative. You have to go into these environments with a really conservative um, and an open mindset. Um, but yeah, it was good. I think that's the biggest thing, isn't it now? Like a lot of people see the YouTube, it's just so accessible where you guys go and they, they, they're not prepared. You know, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. easy. We'll just go there. So it sounds, it looks amazing. We'll just get on the plane yeah. and go. But like hearing your story, it is a lot of work behind the scenes. Like, how long was the preparation for you to go to Greenland? How? how well, th- this one, we we tried to do this before COVID actually, and it got cancelled. Obviously, when the COVID thing hit, so we went March of this year. Um, it had been a long time, a long time in the planning. Um, yeah. And like anything, it's it's great to have a big goal like this, even if it's a few years out, because it sort of anchors your mind into training and preparing for it. So, yeah, a lot of preparation, a lot of training, a lot of when testing you, gear. When you say a lot it. of preparation and training, like how how did you physically prepare as well for this? Like how when you say lots, what did it um, like? For me, I do a lot of trail running. Um yeah. mainly I do a, I do a lot of rock climbing as well which I think helps for the mind perhaps mm. um but just, really just a lot of trail running a bit of sand dune running um up at Palm Beach that's a good one before you go skiing <laughs> just doing laps of the sand dunes to get the legs conditioned I, I find that really helps um I do a lot of stretching um and then and then just you know it's it's great to get out into the mountains and do a long day rock climbing because I think that that mindset and um just understanding of the risk ecosystem and keeping that top of mind is really good going yeah. into these um, expeditions. Because yeah, I noticed when I did my um, when I did my um, backcountry day, oh, I right. really thought that I was fit. You know, yeah. I was running and I was doing weights training and everything. And it, what I learned from that was I really just needed to pack a big backpack and walk or run up some some hills or something. Did you? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Like, there's nothing better than putting a backpack on. It was quite tough, actually, because in the lead up to this trip, we like, we were locked down here on the northern beaches and couldn't get to the snow. So ordinarily, I would have tried to get a fair bit of ski touring in that season prior, and I just didn't get anything done. So putting the backpack on, loading it up with water bottles and walking up hills is a great one to get your legs get your legs ready for it. Um, I was definitely the the um I think I was the person who had the longest hiatus in my skiing when we arrived 
<laughs> with the, yeah. versus the Canadians who are ready and raring to go. Yeah, they <laughs> anyway. get locked down in the mountains. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. Gosh. And how did you manage your food and everything? Like, so you were based in the the town, and did you come back to someone cooking your meals, or? Yeah, we did. So the the setup that um that Matt Spensley and the team he's got it um that his business is called um Perhuck Perhuck um they they provided all of our meals, which was terrific um for the back at the back at the village. It's a it's a it's a pretty um everything's pretty much got to be flown in to that to Kulasuk. Um, there's the the Inuit people that live there. Um, it's a subsistence sort of hunting um, setup, I think. So there's a fair bit of hunting that goes on. I think they hunt seals still and they do a lot of fishing um, and, and supplement what gets flowing in. And the interesting thing about Greenland is there's there's no roads in Greenland. So um, Kulasuk has become a pretty important um airport actually on the east coast that connects the east coast with the west coast and the rest of the world so i believe the danish government um is which 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 governs greenland um you know pr- provides the infrastructure and necessary necessary economic support for um for kulasuk and they, they maintain the airport um the the people there um and that's how that's kind of how it works yeah so snowmobile is that how they get around everywhere? Is it? Yeah, yeah. So snowmobiles, yeah, snowmobiles um, tend to be the the frozen um, ocean. So Kulasuk is, is it's a little yeah. island actually, just you know, hop step and a jump from the main coast of Greenland. But um, the sea freezes um, in the winter, or most of it freezes, um, and um, they use that as the as the you know their 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 road to access areas to hunt. And, and get around and fish um, and we were doing the same thing so we'd actually um, get towed behind the skidoo uh, out to a particular mountain range or the start of a glacier and, and take off um, up there and we could arrange for a pickup um, in the evening um, they obviously have the firearms um, to um, manage the bear risk um, and that's a really important part part of the it's you know interesting going to a place like this whenever you're going into the mountains there's there's the obvious alpine hazards in terms of you know the snowpack avalanche um weather crevasse glaciers that sort of thing but then there's the sea ice um which i don't i know nothing about i've learned a little bit about on this trap this trip and obviously the um the polar bear threat which is is significant and really serious and there's just no buffer between um you know life and death with death with polar bears so it's a really really serious threat and you don't realize it until you're out there that um, they're everywhere. I think they're coming in closer to the land areas with the declining amount of sea ice out there. Um, they normally live on the sea ice, but um, we had quite a few bear encounters. And, um, you know, in terms of seeing foot, seeing footprints, um, one particular mountain we climbed Um it was was a was a big ridge that we were climbing up from the from the sea um, all the way to a summit, probably a, I don't know a thousand meters up, um, and there was like a, a bowl across to another ridge. And as we were climbing up our ridge, we we noticed we could see a um, what looked like a den and footsteps out of the den, and so it was a polar bear den up wow. into this up into this cirque or this bowl of this mountain. But the footsteps went up the the other ridge and continued up to the summit. So we had a moment where we had to think carefully do we keep going up to the summit of this peak and ski it having not been able to see these return um footsteps so we had to 
we had to stop for about an hour and just observe and take in the environment and see what was happening. We had the dogs with us on that one, which was really good. Yeah. Um, anyway, we, we decided that we, we we continue. We went up the mountain. We didn't see um, the bear up there, which was was good. So we presumed it had come back down. But I got an email from Matt um, a month or two later, as the spring was coming on, and he went back up there and discovered a polar bear den up on the top of that mountain. Oh, so wow. yeah, so there must have been a bear, you know, with cubs up up there oh, <laughs> while, while we were while we were up there. And they they're amazing um, predators. I think they're the biggest. Big, biggest predator on earth um they spend most of their time in the water and on the sea ice which is phenomenal in that temperature that they can survive there and they'll they'll go up mountains up glaciers over summits back down the other side in search for food and have been known to um stalk humans or we're just another you know tasty tasty morsel in the food chain so yeah it was it was quite full-on that was how, how big are they are they um, they grow Same up to oh, 10, 10 foot plus five, six hundred kilos. Massive. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and how fast can they run? <laughs> I'm not sure, but I'd imagine it's be pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> luckily, luckily, we didn't have to find out. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Gosh. So they just kind of. So you're just walking through and you see them everywhere. Is that is that what I'm? No, we saw we we saw we saw a lot of footprints. Um, yeah, wow. I think I think they're around. We did have an encounter um in the village with one that came into the village. Um, and that was a was a pretty big one. Um, so yeah, they're they're definitely there. And it's not you know it's not the sort of place where you're comfortable. Just it's very cold, obviously. So leaving the 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 um the place that with the cottage that we're staying in um yeah. it's not the sort of place where you go out for a walk by yourself down to the sea ice to take a few photos so you really need to have a firearm on you if you do that oh um because wow. they do just wander around looking for seals and food and um you know i didn't realize quite how serious it was till we got there when we did our big traverse of the um island and um camped on the other side um yeah. we had to had to set up a um like a tripwire um around the tent um to make sure we were alerted of any bears um coming to visit us in the in the night (laughs) (laughs) it's almost like the northern territory with the crocodiles don't turn you back (laughs) pretty much and you know you know in the middle of the night while we're out there camping if someone needed to go to the bathroom which is a mission in minus 30 believe me yeah and if you don't have a pee bottle um if you need to do a number two (laughs) Um, you, you pretty much got to take someone with you, and we we de- we obviously dug a big 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 pit in the snow to facilitate that. But someone would have to stand there on guard with a flare or the oh. gun while you did your business. Yeah, it's wow. pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is wild. You got to be yeah. committed. <laughs> yeah, you got to be committed exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, what other animals are there? What are, did you see? Lots of seals. Did you see lots? Um, of, like- yeah, there's there's there is yeah we there, seals definitely. Um, there are um, narwhal whales, actually. The, they're the whales with the big spikes. Um, we didn't actually see any whales. So we, we were there. There was a lot of sea ice when we were there, which was good okay. in terms of us accessing things quickly via skidoo. But I'd imagine if you, you know, they ski touring's possible right up until um, I think early May when the spring starts to set in. And, you know, that that's your sort of classic ski touring weather where, you're getting less storms. You're not skiing powder, and you're skiing more corn. And I think at that at that time of the year, you can um, you can they they use boats to you know access mountains through the fjords and um, that sort of thing. But it was very very wintry and you know arctic while we were there. 
yeah. Amazing though. Probably like you're never going to have an adventure like it again, would you? Really? No, I want to go back, but it's it's um, <laughs> what's that? Addictive. Once yeah. you go, yeah, hundred percent, yeah. And it's you know, I'd love to um get down to Antarctica and um do some ski mountaineering down there. I think now it's there. It's a it's hard to describe just um the the beauty of a play of, of those Arctic environments and you know where there's icebergs, sea ice, big mountains, it's really cold, the air's so clear um and and crisp and you can see for miles. Um you can sort of when you're up on the summits, you can see you're obviously seeing right out to the ocean along these amazing packs of ice, but then you look back into the mainland and you can see all the way up into the towards the um ice cap um of of greenland and the mountains get bigger the mountains we were climbing were probably a thousand to fifteen hundred meters maybe a little bit bigger off the sea ice sort of straight up um and the mountains further into the interior get i think they get up to sort of three thousand meters but they're you know himalayan sized mountains straight out of the sea so you're getting you know you're getting this amazing glaciated classic um you know alpine terrain um, where you've got these beautiful ski lines linking um, peaks and coals with these mellow glacier runs um, from summits right to the frozen ocean. It's amazing with the, with no with no with no altitude issues. Wow, <laughs> yeah, which is no, very cold. Oh. Yeah, is it yeah. is it a growing thing up there? I mean, with the Inuits, are they welcoming people? Yeah, the, yeah, the Greenland. I mean, the, what are the Greenland benefits? Is, you know, I mean, it, it, pros. I and think problems. so. Yeah. Yeah, I think um it's it's um there's fifty six thousand people in Greenland, so there's not much there. And it's a I think it's a land mass maybe three times or maybe sort of New South Wales and Queensland that that big perhaps sort of fits into that side of Australia. Um so it's it's there's not a lot there, but um, you know, the business Matt Spensley has set up is pretty amazing for adventurers that are looking to go to some of the more remote um, parts of the world and um, you know I'd encourage anyone that's um, into that sort of thing to explore that and and potentially get over there um, so he does he offers you know guided um, trips depending yeah. on what your ability level yeah. is he does does hiking in summer um, sea kayaking in summer and um, you know if you if you're not necessarily a mountaineer but you like ski touring then he could tailor a, um, a ski touring trip you know, on some of the more mellow peaks around that area. Amazing, amazing trip to go and do and see that part of the world, um, you know, because next to Antarctica, I think it's, the you know, the closest sort of, um, you know, polar area that you can actually go and ski. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Is it cost prohibitive? Do you have to, how much is it? Would you, would um, I think. I think it, yeah, look, it's expensive to get there because there's a lot of flights. Um, and how do you get there? What is the point? Well, I, I ended up flying from Sydney to Vancouver where I met the Canadian team that I was going with and I um, a couple of them live in Whistler, so I was lucky to do a few days on the hill there and get my legs, you know, going. <laughs> and then from yeah. there, we there we actually had to fly from there to Seattle, Seattle to Iceland, and then we accessed um, Kulasuk from, from Iceland. So, yeah, quite a, quite a journey. You know, I was lucky um, with this trip that it was um, – I was invited along as a – climber skier um but you know uh, yeah it's a i think you know i think it's it, it, yeah it would be expensive but um it's just one of those things that you could make it happen if you really wanted to go <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a, a 
It seems it seems like it yeah, would be yeah, one to yeah, bucket list. How many? Yeah, it's definitely definitely a bucket list thing. Yeah. How many females were on your trip, and like, you know, what's the ratio there? Yeah, we had um, so two of us were um, uh, females, so they're, they're two um, really great ski mountaineers um, out of New Zealand. One, uh, sorry, out of New Zealand, out of um, Canada. One is a um, aspiring mountain guide, so you know, highly skilled mountain people. Um, it was great to have them there. I think that we it's actually amazing. We, we were there were seven of us. Um, you know, a, a couple of us knew each other, um, but pretty pretty much a new group and everyone got along really well, um, no issues at all, um, really supportive. And it's actually quite nice being in, the, in that environment in a group of that size because, you know, to do it with one or two of you, it's really putting everything on the line if there was an issue. Um, if, there were, if somebody did hurt themselves, there's, as I was mentioning before, there's just no rescue. So you're going to have to do a self-rescue, no rescue for a few days. Um, and that's quite a um, full-on thing to get your head around because, you know, it's so easy to twist your knee when you're skiing um, and being stuck out there for a night would not be not be pleasant or we'd have to work out how we could extract the person. So we had to be prepared for that. But it was great to have a, a high-performing team, um, you know, from from around the world. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Um, so the fact that it's in Greenland for a couple of weeks sounds like it would automatically eliminate the people who that kind of thing would not even appeal to, which would be quite a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, that's the idea is someone's idea of a nightmare. Like my idea of a nightmare is doing the Sydney to Hobart yacht race for three three days. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, think so. I think so. I think really right. Yeah, I think so. I think with any of these big trips, though, there's always an element a little element of fear um, and uncertainty. Um, and I've certainly felt that with a lot of the expeditions and climbing trips I've done um, over the year, over the years. Um, and I think as you do more of these things, you understand how you can deal with that fear and that risk. And, you know, I think understanding that risk ecosystem helps and you can you sort of break it down into its, its parts. And, um, generally that's the best way to approach it um but you're right i think that with that experience you get a certain person they take on the challenge for sure yeah yeah so you said that you were you went over with a leadership group as well there's a is, tell us a little bit more about that or how did oh uh, so the business that um sponsored the expedition is a is okay. a leader a leadership business so yeah like a a corporate leadership training company called Adventure Inspiring Performance, and yeah, they've actually got a really, really unique product. They put to put together um, real life scenarios, film them, um, and in this instance, it was climbing and skiing. You know, unskied and first descents and remote peaks in Greenland, um, and then they take that into the corporate environment um, as a as an offsite or you know conference type situation, and then those corporate teams. Um, get in, watch that footage and make decisions and there's different outcomes. So with the polar bear one, for example, do you do you push for the summit or do you turn around and go back to base camp um, and, and call it a day? Um, so we had some, you know, we were really fortunate with everything we managed to get done. Um, we were really lucky to um, um, 
get a, a, a first descent done. So there was a classic peak um, that we climbed with a beautiful steep north face on it. Um, and we sort of spotted that one day as we were climbing up the peak. It was a really big day. We, we took off up a glacier and spotted this big north face. It's, it's sort of there was a like a a couloir that we had to down climb to get on that you had to down climb to get onto the face and then it was a i don't know 50 degree slope 45 50 degree slope um that basically had a direct fall line all the way down um to the to the sea ice pretty much to the bottom of the mountain um we saw that and i, I know matt had been wanting to ski that for some time um so it, that day was an amazing one. We climbed up a um, up a glacier, climbed up a couloir to get to a ridge, summited the peak, and then skied yeah. the eastern side of the peak, which was a which was the sunny side, um, all the way down um, to the sea. And so that was a big sort of over thousand meter climb to the summit, a thousand meter descent to the sea. And then we had a bit of lunch, and then we climbed back up that face that we just skied, and then we had a decision to make. So do we go and scope out this? this north face that hasn't been skied before, untouched face, or do we climb back down the couloir and go the way we came back up? And everyone was pretty keen to go and check out the, the potential um, first ascent. So we headed up to the ridge. Um, it was getting late in the afternoon, so it's a interesting moment. You know, do you take on this big objective now or do we um, just call it a day? <clears throat> we, we, we down climbed onto the, into the couloir and scoped it out and it looked like it, it would go and the snow condition was... Um, was reasonable enough to to take it on and then yeah the seven of us climbed down into the couloir set up and then one by one um we skied this um face which was a pretty um i think that's pretty much as good as it gets when it comes to ski mountaineering it was the snow was um you know boot deep powder snow the the snow was consolidated at enough to make it safe enough to ski that was a bit of a concern of ours heading down there and you know you got to go into these things with an open mind if we we got into that that couloir and set ourselves up to ski and the snow was no good we would have had to have climbed back out climbed back out and and go back the way we came um so step by step we got ourselves into the situation and it seemed appropriate um and then had this amazing descent one by one down this face um back to the sea ice as the sun was setting it was just one of those moments where you're like i think this is where all that dedication i've put to climbing and skiing's come together into this beautiful moment where we um skied a mountain that no one's ever skied it was pretty special that was amazing that is yeah. absolutely amazing that is yeah it was awesome that hardly anyone ever gets like yeah you know, it was phenomenal the planet that have, you know yeah yeah you were at that stage at that time like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just wondering, like for 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 people that haven't heard of a couloir, can you describe what that is, and also what kind of skills do you think you need to? If someone's listening and they think that's like a bucket list thing, what kind of skiing skills do you think you need to be able to cope with something like that? Yeah, if sure. People have only ever skied inbounds before. Yeah. Well, a, a couloir is a is like a classic line that you might get between two headwalls of a peak. Um, if you imagine a, a strip of snow that runs down from a, a ridge or a summit into a bowl and kind of opens out, the couloir is that tight that tight bit. Um, and often in resorts, there'll be you know famed runs that you know like Corbett's Couloir in Jackson Hole is a, is your classic kind of um, you know bucket list ski, ski run um that's that's the sort of thing so um in terms of skills you know if you can 
if you can ski a, a double black run in a ski resort, I think generally you're armed with the right skills to ski that type of thing if you can ski it confidently. I think the trick is getting into this type of um, feature. Um, you know, sometimes you'll have to abseil or down climb with crampons and ice axes, um, and that's where you want to be doing that within your comfort zone and have the appropriate experience and skills. So if it's something somebody was really interested, you know, there's a bit of a gray line between ski touring and ski mountaineering. Um, I think the mountaineering component um, perhaps comes in when you're putting crampons and on an ice axes and using climbing gear perhaps. Um, but I think getting those mountaineering skills um, is, is pretty, pretty key and critical to, um, backcountry skiing in general i think i think it's really help, a helpful um thing to have so you can get yourself out of um tricky situations whether it be you find yourself at the bottom of an icy slope or the halfway down an icy slope and you need to put crampons on and get yourself out of there or um understand enough climbing skills to um get yourself out of a particular situation or get into something that you um want to ski um and there's a lot of there's a lot of um there's a lot of ski mountaineering. Or there's a lot of mountaineering courses popping up these days, and backcountry um, courses that people can can start to get that experience. Even here in Australia, I do a little bit of um, guiding for a company called Climbing the Seven Summits, and they um, they do a great introductory snow camping and um, mountaineering, you know, basic mountaineering course here in Australia. And Australia is a great place to um, get out there with relatively easy access no glaciers and crevasses necessarily that you can get yourself into trouble in but um a great environment to start to work on and explore some of those skills and with new zealand across the the ditch that's a, a step up again in terms of the, the mountainous terrain and there's some great guiding companies over there that can um give you those those skills but when it comes to the actual skiing of that, that terrain um look for for me um i I remember skiing that particular run. It's not the sort of thing that you, you know, you you do a teat and gravity research line down the mountain. It's just you've got to really dial it back and take it really easy, you know, enjoy it, but yeah. you never know what you might hit. You don't, you do not want to hurt your knee or break something in that sort of environment because it really, yeah, things escalate, things escalate quickly. So just okay, take, so we, we go, yeah. go conservatively. So conservatively, I think knowing your limits is really important and then being able to ski within those limits um, is 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 really important. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I, I Does that appeal to you, Tanil? It does appeal to me, um, apart from the polar bears. Yeah. I like the idea of being based. I think, like, it's such an extreme environment. I do yeah. like the idea of being based somewhere so you can have a shower and stuff. Yeah. Length of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really nice coming back to the the, the warm lodge every night <laughs> and being able to reset apart from the nights that we were camping. Um, but, look, I think these trips, these adventures, um, the thing that's always appealed to me is, um, like I say, that it can be pretty scary um, before you head off on these adventures. Um, but it, you, t it, you learn so much about yourself and, it's almost like a bit of a spiritual journey. You know, you come out of these things having really looked deeply inside yourself and understanding what makes you tick and, you know, you, you, you work your way through it. Um, it's such an amazing, amazing way to grow in yourself, um, yeah. I, I find. 
Do you, th- do you think you would enter like the spiritual journey, like as a gra- <laughs> like enter it green, or is it better when you're kind of like you know yourself when you're like okay that you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah I know what you mean. Confirms what you thought, or like throw someone in the deep end when they're like twenty. Yeah, times. well, I think as long as. <laughs> I think you do need a level of experience to do these things, but I think you start the journey, yeah, yeah. Um, find the right mountain to to hike up or skin up and ski back down. And, um, you know, even a day in the snowy mountains here in Australia can be brutal and really hard, but so rewarding. You know, I've had some, I've had some amazing ski tours um, out in the snowy mountains where really hard days, but, you know, and sometimes the skiing is not that great, but for some reason at the end of the day, when you get back to the car or back to your tent, such a good feeling feel like you've really achieved something and um having to having done that in such a beautiful environment um and also you know the camaraderie with the team that you're doing it with it's hard to beat it's um it's amazing yeah Yeah. do you think it's ruined you for life or will you be able to ski some nice normal places now or are you gonna start seeking out that level from now on I've, i've i think um I didn't start. I didn't start skiing until I finished school. So I grew up. I grew up with just my mum and my sister, and they weren't particularly adventurous, and we never went to the snow. But I always had a massive fascination for um, alpine climbing and you know mountain adventures. And I'd read all the literature as a kid, and just got wow. lost lost in those stories. And I think that's really what set me off on my trajectory to rock climb um, and ski. And I really started both of them. Um, in earnest at the same time, which is sort of really when I finished school. Um, and I think I've always been drawn to um, the those areas less travelled potentially. So I think my very first day skiing was at Threadbow, um, just as I'd finished school in my first year of university. And um, I remember even that first day, which was just amazing, having to having you know got myself down the mountain without twisting my knees. I remember thinking, what's out the back there? Like, you know, that mountain range out beyond Threadbow looks amazing and I was always just fascinated and wanted to get out there. So very quickly in I think it was, you know, 97 or sorry, 95, 96, 97, I got together what ski touring gear I could get, which in those days was pretty simple. Like the bindings have come a long way. It was very basic stuff and just started every year getting out there, and exploring, you know, um, the 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 backcountry of Australia, um, and I always found myself more comfortable out there than in the resort. I think I did way less skiing, obviously, but um, the the runs you did do were pretty, pretty special. And you know, it's an amazing it's an amazing mountain range of snowy mountains, and I've got, got a real fond spot for it. But um, I think, yeah, the the that adventurous side. Um, of skiing has just always appealed to me from the start. So soon after I started exploring the backcountry into Australia, I did, started doing a lot of skiing, um, a lot of mountaineering in New Zealand, and then really quickly learned that um, I climbed Mount Aspiring with my wife Jemima, and we didn't do that on skis. We just did that in mountaineering gear. And some friends that we did it with were on skis. I think that was back in 2001. And <clears throat> I was just like, Next time I come to New Zealand, I'm bringing my skis because this is the way to to do it. And the yeah, and this this yeah, the ski t- ski mountaineering for me is just such a beautiful way to move through the mountains. You know, you can move a lot quicker across a glacier, and in my mind, I think it's a bit safer potentially. You know, to be on skis, spreading your 
weight across um, a greater surface area. Moving quick is better because you can move away from, you know, potential hazards and, you know, seracs or whatever it might might be. So from that point on, I started, um, when I went to New Zealand to climb, I'd always take my skis. And, you know, we did a lot of ski mountaineering around the Pioneer Hut Fox Glacier area um, and really fell in love with the sport um, there uh, um, and then just sort of went from there. <laughs> I, I, so it's a stepping stone kind of like Australia, New Zealand, North America, Europe, Greenland. <laughs> yeah, I sort sort of yeah. I, I've done I've done a lot a lot in Australia, a lot in New Zealand. Um, when I was at university, I did two the best part of two winter seasons in Jackson Hole, and that that um, you know Jackson Hole really got my skiing um, dialed in, and that was a great place to start to explore um, the alpine world um beyond just just skiing like it's a pretty pretty full-on place i'm sure if you've been there you'll know what i mean um and just accessing the backcountry there was a great way to learn um mm. and just i just really appreciate that um bringing climbing skills and skiing skills together is a is a beautiful way to move through the mountains um and experience the mountains yeah um awesome yeah, yeah. so what's next what's next on the adventure where's where's the next country um, I think I'd, I'm, I've got to go back to Greenland again one day because there's just, you know, I mean, you could spend a lifetime there and not scratch the surface and, you know, the, the unclimbed, unskied component of Greenland is really attractive. I'd love to get to Antarctica and ski there. I haven't done much stuff at high altitude, so I'd love to um, – I've been to Nepal a couple of times, but I'd love to um, I'd love to do a ski descent in Nepal. Um, and then uh, the, the Alaska range, I haven't, um, I haven't skied – in before either so you know Denali and those sorts of objectives in that area I think it'd be great to climb and ski there there's basically that's the thing about climbing and skiing there's a lifetime of objectives out there that you'll never you know you can never necessarily achieve particularly with rock climbing you climb your whole life and there's always something harder (laughs) there's always people doing harder things (laughs) Um, but it's but it's great it just keeps you so engaged and um and and fit so yeah I have a list I have a very long list um that um you know hopefully I can I can get into (laughs) with kids and and um and Jemima (laughs) it's a balance yeah the more that we talk to more to all you you adventurers the more my list grows it was so simple yeah exactly wow that that's an option oh that's an option like it just keeps on <laughs> which is great which is you know what keeps you living <laughs> exactly it does for sure yeah yeah definitely definitely how old are your children do you have children sorry yeah i've got a i've got a 7 year old and a 13 year old um Excellent. and two two boys and you know they're both adventurous and i you know, hope to get out there with them actually the little guy that the the seven year old um Emmett he's he did his first proper bit of skiing this season at Threadbow and he was loving it he, I think he's that's um oh, that's his that's his thing so that's good <laughs> everyone skis which everyone skis which is great yeah 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 um, <laughs> yeah that's awesome so um we finish up with our question we ask all our guests and that is um where's your favorite place to ski in Australia and in the world two separate Oh look, in Australia, um, my favourite place to ski has to be the the back country. Um, Threadbow is my favourite resort, but I love leaving Threadbow for the the um, you know the, the back country there and the snowy mountains. It's just I love it. In the world, um, 
I'd probably have to say Jackson Hole. I think I've got a pretty soft spot for there, having spent um, that time there when I was younger. I haven't actually been back there since 1997. I did two seasons in a row. Um, so, yeah, I know that place is amazing. I just I look forward to taking the family back there and you know us all skiing together when the when the boys are um, you know skiing skiing well at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so, in, awesome. sorry, just in Australia, narrow it down for us. Do you have you skied Watson's Crags? Is that your favourite area? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Any anywhere out there is amazing. Yeah. I think you know whatever's in condition. Obviously, trying to find the right condition is important. Um, but I try and do a trip, big trip out there every year, or a couple of trips every year. And um, you know, there's limitless stuff to explore and ski out there. And every trip's so different out there um you never know what you might get in terms of weather and snow and um you know it's amazing i love it out there nice so do i will do more of that next year ham yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) we'll have to all get out there (laughs) thanks justin for your time today no worries it's been great chatting to you guys where can we go and watch see some of your footage um i've put i've put a fair bit up on my instagram actually um which is justin robinson media um so there's a few stories in there from greenland and um a few few snaps from the stuff we skied as well yeah i'm going on there right now (laughs) awesome and and jemima runs the banff ski uh the banff mountain film festival so jemima and i um work together we have a business called adventure reels um and it's a, a media company that runs um film festivals amongst other things and one of our big um headline um tours is the banff mountain film festival which is on um in may every year across the country um and showcases the best from the banff mountain film festival in um in canada um we we tour that throughout australia amongst and we also run a number of other um film festivals um and events so we've we've been fortunate to um build our passion into our working life and um yeah it's awesome well there's our next podcast we'll have to get to you and jemima on um, oh yeah she's awesome yeah Yeah. (laughs) for sure thank you thanks guys yeah unreal all right (laughs) thanks for listening to loving the snow life with emma and tenille if you've learned a handy tip or two then happy days to catch all our episodes subscribe on itunes it's free head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au for more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snow Life. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share our episodes on your social media.